Think of your worst sunburn you've ever got. Multiply it hundreds of times worse. And on top of that, imagine that you've got these open oozing sores. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. <laughs> it's my Mother's Day message. <laughs> like, wow. Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. All right, Revelation chapter 16. Hey, um, we've been going through the book of Revelation, for those of you that are here visiting. Um, Chapter 15 we looked at last week, and and I really entitled that a prelude or a prelude to judgment. In the very end of chapter 15, it says, The temple was filled with smoke from 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 the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And so the, the glory of God filling the temple in heaven. And, and what's that a picture of? Well, God is alone in the temple in heaven. And there's a, people have thought, well, you know, it's because he's weeping. We know that scripture tells us that uh, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So we, we understand that. So it would make sense that, that God is in there. He's unconsolable at this point because he doesn't want to, to pour out his wrath. And yet he's forced to by man's rebellion. Um, the other aspect of that is that you know the only time a man would go into the temple was to to minister as an intermediate between God and man, and and so at this point, uh, you know, uh, at this point, there's no more need for an intercessor, because this first bowl that we're going to look at this morning is poured out on all those who had the mark of the beast. And back in chapter uh, 14, remember the third angel was flying around in heaven and he was warning the inhabitants of the earth, don't take the mark of the beast, don't worship the beast in his image. And if you do, uh, there's literally and hell to pay, basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Um, but they were warned already, so their fate is sealed. And so in that sense, when we get to chapter 16, God's wrath is being poured out. And so he's alone there in the temple. Well, we get to uh, chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. And uh, we talked about it last week. And if you have the King James Version, it says vials. Um, but that's really not good, a good uh, interpretation or not a good word, I don't think, because it actually is a bowl. It's, it's wide it's shallow, and it's in so that the contents are spilled out rather quickly. Because if you know you had a, like a perfume bottle and you flip it upside down, you, you, it takes a while to dump out the contents. That's the that's the whole idea behind having a vial. Um, but a bowl, it just comes out all at once. And as we go through these bold judgments, you'll understand why it's it's coming out in quick succession. And I believe also because of the severity of it uh, at the end of the tribul- of the great tribulation. So we get to verse 2, it says, So the first went out and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. They had foul sores. The King James Version says noisome. Not a word we really use uh, uh, commonly. I mean, I don't use noisome. I got this noisome sore or whatever. Um, but the word means it's, it's hurtful. It's harmful. Actually, I looked it up in the dictionary because I'm like, what does noisome mean in the King James, or not the King James, but the, you know, the Webster's Dictionary? And it actually means having an extremely offensive smell. So that kind of gives you an idea of this foul 
sore that these these inhabitants have, and it's loathsome. That means it's grievous. It's it's malignant, is another word. So if you can if you can put that together, it's a festering, oozing, smelly because there's rotting flesh or whatever you know pus. I don't want to get too gross out, but you know it's a it's a bad sore. It's not a good deal. Um, and it, actually, as we go through these bold judgments, it's interesting because they're very similar. To the bold or to the judgments that were the plagues that were uh, poured out on Egypt, when God was uh, having you know getting Pharaoh to release the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. Let me read this out of Exodus nine. You don't need to turn there, but Exodus nine verse eight it says Moses and Aaron took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven, and they caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the uh, on the magicians and all the Egyptians. Some of the plagues the the Egyptians were able to mimic; they were able to like perform also. But this was one that they weren't able to do. Who would want to, anyways? Um, interesting. So these foul and loathsome sores. You know, the Lord warned the children of Israel at the Mount of Blessing and Cursing. It's in Deuteronomy 28. He said, if they rebel against the Lord, and I'll just read this to you. It says, the Lord will smite thee with the botch of Egypt and with the emeralds and with the scab and with the itch whereof thou cannot be healed. I mean, just the botch. I mean, it just sounds bad uh, when, you, when you hear it that way. But this is a picture. Of course, this is the, you know, the sores that they have. And what's interesting, too, in uh, the trumpet judgments, which we studied in chapters 8 and 9, in those judgments, it was a third of the inhabitants of the world that are afflicted with these different uh, plagues or these judgments that are poured out. But all of these that we're going to look at this morning in chapter 16, they're full strength. They're without mixture. In other words, they're undiluted. There's no mercy mixed in with them. This is God's wrath being poured out. And it's on all those who bear the mark of the beast. Now, with the sixth plague in Egypt, you recall that the children of Israel, they didn't get those sores. They didn't get the boils. They were protected from it. And here, the remnant of Jews that are on the earth at this time, the tribulation believers, those that come to faith during the great tribulation, and the 144,000 that were sealed, they won't have these sores on them. So if you can imagine... You're there. Say, say you're you're one of these people that you know rebelled against God. You you took the mark of the beast. Now you've got this this sore, and you look around, and there's Jewish people walking around, and they don't have it at all. Or these Christians, those lousy Christians, they're walking. They don't have them at all. Can you imagine the anti-Semitism and the hatred that would rise up? You know, back in the back in the days of the of the like the bubonic plague and different things, the Jewish people because of their dietary, uh, you know, the way they ate and everything, a lot of times these plagues they didn't affect the Jewish people, and so the people would get, you know, they it would be like they caused it, you know, and so there'd be a lot of hatred towards the Jewish people. So if you can kind of imagine, there, you know, it's probably going to be like that during this time too. Now, will this be a physical reaction to the mark, you know, like, it, like they got blood poisoning or maybe, maybe some radiation from getting the mark? You know, it's possible. But I firmly believe God isn't restricted to human methods of making things happen. That's my personal take. I don't think there's no reason why it couldn't have been supernaturally caused. Now, if you think about the mark, you know, Satan mimics everything that God does. He's a counterfeit. 
And so if you recall earlier in Revelation, the mark of God was placed upon the saints and also upon the 144,000. They were protected and sealed for eternal life. Well, Satan mimics the mark or counterfeits the mark of God upon the saints. And so that's what the mark of the beast is. It's a, it's a cheap counterfeit. Everything Satan does is a cheap counterfeit. Those who are protected and sealed for eternal life, you know, this mark, the counterfeit mark, God is revealing to the people there's no protection and they are actually sealed for eternity in hell at this point because they received that. The punishment really fits the crime. What's God doing? Well, the Lord is revealing on the outside of people's bodies what he sees on the inside when he looks at man's wickedness. You know, for us, sometimes sin seems appealing or tempting or whatever. God sees what sin is. It's malignant. It's festering. It's dis- destructive. And so he's just revealing to mankind what's on their hearts on the inside. Could you imagine if the way our hearts were this morning was revealed in our appearance outside? You, know, you, you had a fight with your wife. You come out here and you're all grotesque, you know, and stuff. You got boils or whatever. Ugh, I had a rough day, you know. Well, thank God that doesn't happen, right? We can put on our smiley faces and, (laughs) hey, how are you doing? (laughs) All right, verse 3. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Now, back in Revelation 8.8, we found that the second angel sounded in the trumpet judgments, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and it says a third of the sea became blood. So we look at this judgment again, blood. Is it some the you know is it more of the same phenomena, uh, you know something like a great mountain burning with fire causing it? I really don't know. But like I said earlier, while the trumpet judgments were mixed with God's mercy, only a third of the seas turned to blood. Here, these are poured out without mixture, full strength, and it affects the entire sea. Now, there's some people that look at this and they go, well, the sea. You see, it says the sea. So, you know, they only knew of in those days the Mediterranean Sea. So maybe this plague is only affecting the Mediterranean Sea. I don't believe that. And the reason why is because if man's rebellion is global, why wouldn't God's wrath be poured out globally? It's almost the same as those people that say, well, you know, Noah's flood was just a localized flood. No, it was a flood that occurred across the the face of the earth. And I think it's the same thing with this. All the seas have turned to blood. Now consider the effects of this judgment. It says that all marine life died. So the food supply worldwide is affected by that. Not only that, but the oxygen levels are going to be reduced on the planet. Well, the inhabitants of the earth will probably think, well, at least we've got drinking water, fresh drinking water, you know, go to the streams and stuff. Look at verse 4. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. You know, so so many of the commentators that I looked at, they really have a hard time with this. Um, You know, they, they, they say, well, it must be some natural phenomena that causes water to appear like blood. Well, John doesn't say it was something like blood, excuse me, but it became blood. I'm kind of fundamental in that. I, you know, if the Bible says so, I just believe it. Take it at its word. Well, how could all water on the planet be turned to blood? That just seems so far-fetched. How could God do that? Well, let me ask you this, if you're thinking that. Do you believe 
that God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing? Do you believe that? How about this? Do you believe that the first miracle that Jesus performed at the wedding in Cana, when he, remember when he turned water into wine? The Bible says he didn't turn something, he didn't turn water into something that resembled wine. He literally turned water into wine. In fact, the wine was so good that the master of the feast called the, the, the person and said, man, where did we get this wine from? It's great. Again, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> um, so if Jesus can turn water to wine, I don't think he has any problem turning water to blood. And if he can do that, is he somehow limited to how much blood he can, you know, how much he can do? No. You might go, yeah, but all the drinking water on the planet turned to blood? The severely, severely reduced oxygen levels? How could that be? And that's exactly why I believe that these bold judgments are poured out in quick succession, and these judgments come at the end of the Great Tribulation, because the end is very near at this point. Verse 5. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Now, I don't be, mean to be facetious here, but you know, I don't believe that there's a demon of the dead car battery or a demon of the flat tire. You know, sometimes we things happen in our cars. We go, man, that the demon of the flat tire. I rebuke you, you know, and stuff. And uh, you know, maybe instead of rebuking the demon of the of the dead car battery, maybe maybe it's possible God's just allowed it to teach you patience, or maybe to be a better steward of of what He's given you, or or maybe He's arranging it so that you're going to get alternate transportation, and He's going to put you in a situation where you have a divine appointment with someone. You know, who knows. While I don't believe, you know, there's a demon behind every car problem we have, it's fascinating here that there's an angel of the waters. That, that just jumps out at me here. We know from the book of Hebrews that angels are ministering spirits. They're sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Well, evidently, some angels are also in place, uh, placed in charge of the forces of nature. Because we recall back in Revelation 7, there were four angels that held back the four winds that blow upon the earth. And so these angels, they say, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. God, the bloodshed, the violence that occurs on this planet, God cares about that. In Matthew 23, verse 33 through 36, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and the rulers and the scribes of, of Jerusalem in those days, and he said, Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And with these judgments here, <clears throat> God's only giving people what they want. Because the beasts and his followers, they're bloodthirsty. Even look in our day how violent things are. 
So God is giving them what they want, blood to drink. Like I said earlier, no human life is insignificant to God. Every single baby that's been aborted is important to God, is significant. Think of all the genocide that's occurred in man's history. All the senseless murders, the mass executions, all the stuff that ISIS has been doing, right? They're beheading people. They're throwing people off of balconies and all that. Uh, you know, we read about it down in Mexico. You know, it's not a very safe place to go anymore because of all the drug cartels, all the, all the murders that's continuing down there. And I, I got bad news for you this morning. It's, it's only going to continue to grow more violent and more wicked. Well, all the blood, all this innocent blood, it cries out from the ground to the Lord. And he's avenging all that bloodshed. Remember back in Revelation chapter 6, when the, the martyred tribulation saints, they're crying out to the Lord. In verse 10 of chapter 6, it says, They cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It says, then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. They're crying out. So these are the saints that were, that were uh, martyred early in the tribulation, or earlier, I should say. And they're crying out to the Lord. They're, How long will it, will it be till you avenge us? And the Lord God says, not yet. Don't you hate that when you pray out and ask the Lord for, you know, you ask him something? He's, he's going to answer your prayers. It's either going to be yes, no, or not yet. Sometimes that not yet is the hardest one, right? Well, God is answering their prayers here. He's avenging their blood now. And John hears another angel, presumably, a voice from the altar, saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Again, the punishment fits the crime. God's saying to the inhabitants of the earth, you're bloodthirsty? I'm going to give you blood to drink. Verse 8, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. Now, actually, there's some Old Testament prophecies regarding this judgment. In Malachi 4, verse 1, it says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. Isaiah prophesied in, in Isaiah 30, verse 26. Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold, as the light of seven days, in the day that the Lord binds up the bruise of his people and heals the stroke of their, of their wound. So think about this. It's not pleasant to think about it, but, but think about this. Remember, the people on earth at this point, they have these malignant running sores on their bodies. The water on the planet has turned to blood. So, there, so there's very little drinking water. You know, they, may, they probably got some kind of filters or something, but very little drinking water. There's no cooling effects anymore from the oceans, lakes, etc., there's severely reduced oxygen levels, and it stinks because of all the dead mammals or marine life and, and the people themselves with their, with their sores. And now, on top of that, they're burned with intense heat. I don't know how many of you, I grew up in California, and I, I know you don't have to be in California to get sunburns, but I remember some pretty bad sunburns when I was a kid. I mean, so bad, 
I was at the point where it was almost like sun poisoning. My mom actually gets sun poisoning if she's out too long. Um, but I, you know, think of your worst sunburn you've ever got. Multiply it hundreds of times worse. And on top of that, imagine that you've got these open <laughs> oozing sores. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. <laughs> it's my Mother's Day message. <laughs> I'm like, wow. <laughs> Henry Morris says this. Solar radiation will evaporate great quantities of water from oceans and other water surfaces. It's going to result in lowered water tables everywhere. More water vapor will stay aloft, strengthening the greenhouse effect, which of course would be an increased heat and humidity. Any hail, or excuse me, any rain or hail that does reach the surface on the earth will probably be in the form of violent thunderstorms and tornado cells. Then he says this. The ice sheets on Greenland and Antarctica would melt, probably faster than the evaporation process, which would result, of course, in a rapid rise of sea level. Many of the coastal cities, you think of New York, and all those big, large cities are going to be inundated at that point. You know, you think about our sun and the, the, the earth, our position, the earth's position relative to the sun. It's perfectly designed by God. It's perfectly designed to sustain life on this planet. If we were a little closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If we were a little bit further away from the sun, we'd freeze over. God has placed us perfectly within our solar system. And he's given us this atmosphere, you know, our environment. It's all created to sustain life. You know, but man throughout history has continued not only to not acknowledge their creator, but they've rejected him. And we'll see in the Great Tribulation, they're going to shake their fists at him. And they're going to continue in their sin, all the while enjoying the benefits that he's provided on this earth. Which we call it the common grace, you know, the rainfall, the, the you know, the, the, well, everything you can think of that's, that's created to sustain life. Mankind enjoys that. Well, he's not going to let them continue sinning before his face and enjoying his common grace indefinitely. So he's giving him right what he's doing here. He's giving them a foretaste of hell. This is what the lake of fire is going to be. Verse 9, And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, plagues excuse me, and they did not repent and give him glory. Now, some people say, you know, the fact that it says here that they did not repent, that means that they're still being given a chance to repent at this point. I don't think so, personally. Because if this is happening to all that have the mark of the beast, their fate is already sealed by taking the mark. I think what's taking place here, it's just proving what God already knows. He knows that at this point, the people he is afflicting, they're beyond repentance. They don't repent and give him glory, and it just proves his point. Think about that. How hard does a man's heart or a woman's heart have to get to where, remember the other chapter, angels were flying around warning people audibly, visibly from heaven, and they still refuse to repent. Remember the story that Jesus told of the rich man who went to heaven, and, or excuse me, went to, uh, went to Hades, and uh, Lazarus, went to Abraham's bosom, and, and the rich man that was in Hades, he, he, said, he said to Abraham, you know, I've got five brothers. Send, them to, send someone to warn them about this place. Well, God knows the heart of man. 
And Jesus said, Abraham said to that rich man, hey, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the word of God. Let them listen to them. And, and, and then the rich man said, no, 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 Abraham. But, but if, they, if someone came back from the dead, surely they'd believe that. And, and Moses, or excuse me, Abraham said, even if, they, even if someone comes back from the dead, they won't believe. Because that's the hardness of man's heart. And here, you think, well, you know, all these things are happening. Surely they're going to repent. But their hearts are so hardened, they're not going to repent. Let's look at the fifth judgment, verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. We know from Scripture that Satan's the ruler of the darkness of this age. John says, or Jesus said in John 3.19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Again, the punishment fits the crime. God's giving them the darkness that man create, uh, craves. It's a, you know, more of a foretaste of the lake of fire. And you say, well, wait a minute. But the lake of fire, that must mean there's got to be light then, right? Because usually when there's a flame, you can see it and stuff. Uh, and you, this is described as darkness. How can the two exist together? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not that smart. But we know from scriptures that hell is also called outer darkness. Jesus said there'd be weeping and gnashing of teeth there. So in some way there's this burning fire and yet it's not producing light because they're in darkness. Of course, spiritual darkness, but probably physical darkness as well. And it's a darkness that can be felt. Their pain and their suffering is so unbearable now, they're literally gnawing on their tongues. And you recall, again, the plagues in Egypt. There was a plague that was similar to this, where there was darkness all over Egypt, but not Goshen, where the children of Israel were dwelling. They didn't have it. And the tribulation saints, the remnant of Israel, and the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, they're all spared from this darkness. Only the Antichrist kingdom is going to be in darkness. Even his throne, where he's, on, where he's in control, probably Babylon. God here is clearly making a distinction. The distinction is God is light, his children dwell in that light, and Satan and his followers, they dwell in darkness. And you would think, surely now they're going to see the light, they're going to repent. But look at verse 11. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. Verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Dr. Henry Morris says this, The fourth bowl judgment will not only melt the great ice sheets of Greenland and Antarctica, but also the ice caps and glaciers on the mountains of Armenia, which is the source of the Euphrates River. So these mountains, the, the, you know, the, the mountains of... of uh, in uh, Armenia, they actually are the source of the Euphrates River, and they're going to melt. So eventually there won't be water flowing into the Euphrates River, and it will dry up. But what's interesting about that, remember Mount Ararat is located in those mountains. And if all the water eventually dries up, all those ice glaciers and snow caps melt from those mountains, could it be that at that point Noah's Ark is going to be there for everybody to see? In plain view, God's judgment, God's showing them, you know, finally. 
Because there have been people that have gone up and they've climbed Mount, you know, Mount Ararat and they've supposedly taken back pieces of gopher wood or they found pieces, you know, and stuff. And, and to this day, you know, there's different places where they think it might be. But can you imagine if all that ice is gone? There it is, sitting right there. I once heard a story about an atheist, and I, I, I'm, I don't know if it's a true story, but I, I'll quote it anyways. <laughs> but he said, you know, even if Noah's Ark was, was placed in my backyard, I still wouldn't believe because that's the heart of man, you know, they, they're that hard. Some have said that the Euphrates River is what separates east from west. And God promised to Abraham, it was a, it was a prophesied eastern boundary of the land of, of Israel that God promised to Abraham. The Euphrates River also formed the eastern boundary of the Roman Empire. Maybe you know this psalm, Psalm 103, verse 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. You know, that's a verse that I love. Because what that means is, the idea is, you can always go west, you'll never be going east, because you're always going west. You go east, you'll, you'll never meet up with west, because you'll always be going east. It's not true with north and south, but with east and west it is. East and west never meet. And the picture here is, when you repent of your sins, we're forgiven so much, so greatly and we're cleansed from our unrighteousness that our sins are never going to come back to us. They're never going to catch up to us and, and meet us again. What a blessing that is for you and I as believers. East and West never meet. And yet on this day in the Great Tribulation, East and West is going to collide in the form of these great armies. J. Vernon McGee says this, the pre-flood Euphrates River was the cradle of civilization, right? Because the Garden of Eden was located near it. The post-flood Euphrates River will be the grave of civilization. So with the source of the, of the Euphrates dried up and, and, you know, there's got this great big dry riverbed, it's going to make a highway, basically, for the kings of the east to make war uh, with the Antichrist and his armies. And if you look at that kings of the east, it literally means those from the rising of the sun, Go, whoa, the Japanese. Well, it's not just Japan. It's all the Asian nations. India, Indonesia, Korea. Fascinating what's going on with Korea, right? I mean, historic. If It'll be amazing if North and South Korea end up with peace, you know, and at some point maybe they will get unified, but fascinating. China, Vietnam, Cambodia, all these Asian nations coming together probably. And I believe... Prior to the tribulation, uh, there's a battle described in Ezekiel 38 and 39. I personally believe that it's going to take place prior to the tribulation. And in that battle, Russia, Iran, which is named by, by name, Turkey, Libya, and Sudan, a few other nations, they're going to attack Israel. And in that prophecy in Ezekiel 38 and 39, it says Sheba and Dedan, are going to, they're not going to defend Israel, but they're going to protest it. What's fascinating to me is Sheba and Dedan, that includes present-day Saudi Arabia. And you know, it was very fascinating. Last week, okay, the Israelis, they bombed uh, just about every military installation that, that Iran had in Syria. They, just, they, they took out all, a lot of, almost all of Syria, or Iran's uh, military um, hardware there in, uh, in Syria. And you know it was fascinating because typically 
Muslim nations, they don't voice anything. They might have backdoor communications with Israel, but they don't say it out front because they don't want to inflame their, their citizens or the Muslim populations. The, uh, the new leader of Saudi Arabia, he said, Israel has a right to defend herself. That is historic. That has never occurred before. And I say that because at this point, now Saudi Arabia is not an ally of, of Israel, but they're getting to a point where they're like, Israel has a right to exist. So if you think about that battle, and maybe this afternoon go home and read Ezekiel 38 and 39, it's fascinating because I think we're on the cusp of that battle. I, I really personally believe that we're very close to that battle taking place. And Saudi Arabia will protest, probably the United Nothing, I mean United Nations, excuse me. Um, well, God in that battle is going to miraculously deliver Israel. He's going to wipe out Russia and all many of those Muslim nations that joined with Russia. And this event is what I believe is going to pave the way for this European political leader to rise to power known as the Antichrist. But now, at this judgment here, his kingdom has been plunged into darkness. So he appears weak and vulnerable and the kings from the east are going to take advantage of this opportunity and go to war with him. But you might think, well, wait a minute, hold the bus here. I thought he was, the Antichrist like, was a global leader. And all the nations are worshiping him. Everybody's subjugated to him. That's probably true. In fact, it is true. Scripture says that. But listen, treachery is still going to exist. It's not like all of a sudden people are going to be loyal, okay? If nothing, they're going to be, people are going to be more treacherous during the tribulation. So even now, you think of Asia, they're, they're becoming an economic powerhouse. And if you, if you studied the Battle of Armageddon, you think, think about the amount of money it's going to take to field an army as large as these armies that are going to come. You know, it's amazing. Well, we get to verse 13 and 14, and there's an interlude in the chronology here. Verse 13, it says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the east and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Isn't that interesting? A spirit in the Bible, the Holy Spirit in the Bible is pictured as a dove. These demons are, are pictured as frogs, or they look appearance like frogs. Maybe if you don't like frogs, you're probably like, yeah, the, the demon frog, you know. <laughs> um, is it, again, the, the description is they're like frogs, so it's not frogs, okay, they're like frogs. Maybe in their appearance, maybe in their mannerisms, the way they hop around or, or their, you know, the noise they make. By the way, any of you know what the difference is between a cat and a frog? Any cat lovers here? All right, we got a few, okay. You know what the difference is between a cat and a frog? A cat only has nine lives. A frog croaks every night. All right. I won't uh, quit my day job. <laughs> okay, anyways. I was really working on that delivery for that, too. All right. Listen. This is my personal belief, and, and, and I get very, it breaks my heart when believers believe this, but I really believe that the Bible clearly teaches that once a person is born again, once they have the Holy Spirit, you know, it's a seal of our salvation, a believer cannot be demon-possessed. 
And it breaks my heart when there's some believers that believe that. They think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm demon-possessed. I've been talking with a guy recently. He's, he's, always, he's always, you know, demons are oppressing him all the time. I don't believe that a person can be demon-possessed if they're a born-again believer. But that's the only type of person that cannot be demon-possessed. Everyone else, man, they're fair game. And what's going what's gonna to happen? You look at what's taking place here. Man's heart is so hard at this point. They're hardened to the Lord. They're so filled with wickedness. And here's another aspect of this, of all that stuff's going on. Think of the drug epidemic. You know, right now we got that opioid crisis, right? And all the other drugs that are, that are being abused right now. Think about when people have these sores that they, they just can't escape them. And, and the, the, uh, the, uh, the heat, the incredible heat. That, you know, and that, that sense of hopelessness. And when the world is just completely in upheaval, think of the people that are going to be trying to anesthetize or to dr- uh, numb themselves from not only the pain of, you know, the sense of pain, the intense pain, but also from their sense of hopelessness. So their, their, their brain, they're not going to be thinking clearly. On top of that, they're going to have demons driving them. You know, we also studied... At some point during the Great Tribulation, when the sixth seal is open, that was a few chapters, quite a few chapters earlier, there were these demonic creatures that were like locusts, and they were like flying scorpions. Remember that? And they were afflicting people, it says, for five months. And it says, in those days, men will seek death and will not find it, for they will desire to die, and death will flee from them. Can you imagine? You can't even commit suicide during that time. It'll be that horrible. You think about all the times that you read of demon possession in the Bible. You know, every time you read it, like in the New Testament, the person's out of control, right? I mean, you can't control them. The demon is trying to destroy that person. Well, all of these generals of all these armies and all their soldiers, they're under this demonic influence. And they're all descending on one spot on the earth, and that's the plain of Megiddo. Well, the armies of the Antichrist, they're going to come against the armies of the east at that plain. You see the battle of Armageddon? Initially, it's between armies. The armies of the east and the armies of the Antichrist. That, they're coming together to clash in battle there at the plains of Megiddo. But it's only when they see Jesus returning. At that point is when they, when, and of course we'll be with them, right? Where the church will be returning with Jesus from heaven. They're going to join forces at that point and attempt to make war with Jesus. I mean, it's like, huh? What are they thinking? Well, they're not. They're demon-possessed at this point. They actually think that they can win a battle with Jesus, but of course they're pawns in the hands of Satan and his demon. Uh, demons. Excuse me. Satan knows he has no chance, okay? I mean, he knows that. I don't think Satan's like, I'm going to get God. You know, I, don't think he, I think he knows he can. But if you, it's almost to me like a, a selfish, spoiled, rotten brat you know you guys have known some of them none of them go to our church but you know those selfish spoiled rotten children that throw tantrums because they can't get their way we had a, a relative when i was when, a number of years ago and and uh we were a couple of families we were together on on thanksgiving and we all decided to go for black friday right to this store and so we all went to the store and one of my nieces she was just a little little girl she threw one of those tantrums. One of those ones where you're like, where is that noise coming from? And it's like, you know, at that point, <laughs> I was biting my, I mean, I was, I was just shaking. I was so upset, you know, because like, I don't even want to be here. Um, Satan knows that he doesn't stand a chance. 
But he is so bent on destruction, on destroying people, that he's going to do everything he can to drive people into this frenzy here to make everyone's lives miserable around him because Satan's a murderer and a destroyer. He knows where he's headed. He knows he's headed to the lake of fire, and he's going to try to take as many people as he can with him. Well, part of this interlude, Jesus speaks here, verse 15. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he, uh, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Jesus says he's coming as a thief. And I, I don't think it's in a bad sense, right? Uh, but the sense of com- uh, coming soon and or unexpected, soon and unexpected. You know, who expects a thief? You don't leave your house and go, I wonder if I'm going to get robbed today. You know, you, you don't think about that. So blessed is he who watches. That means to be sober, alert, vigilant about the hour and the day that that we live in. You know, we have, uh, in September, we're going to be live streaming the uh, Prophecy Conference uh, that's done up in the Twin Cities. Janet Markell's ministry, Olive Tree Ministries. There'll be an all-day prophecy conference. You know, what what we've been reading and hearing about what's going on in Syria and Israel, we should be aware. Not that we're not be like, Prophecy, like that's our soul, you know, tunnel vision, just that's all we talk about. But we should be aware that the time is short. And I really do believe it is. Paul wrote this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, but you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. It's not, it's not going to overtake us as a thief, right? Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Speaking of our garments, that speaks of being clothed in Christ's righteousness. You know, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're clothed in his righteousness. So we're what I would call positionally righteous. In other words, before the Father, you know, we are righteous because when he looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness in us, covering us. But there's also, the Bible speaks about a practical righteousness. The Bible talks about putting off Concerning our former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. We're to put off the old man and we're to put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're positionally righteous, but we're also practically righteous. We we need to be working towards that. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, sanctifying us. That's when we we read the Bible and and we read something and, and we go, wow. I'm not doing that. I need to obey that. I need, I need to do what the word, God's word says. That's, that's, that's that practical righteousness being worked out in our, in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And above all, we must not be naked, right? That's without a covering. Or like Adam and Eve. Remember, they, they sinned and then they realized they were naked. And what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together. And what were they trying to do? They were trying to provide their own righteousness, their own covering to hide their nakedness and their shame. Well, verse 16, the chronology continues again. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of, the, of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. See, the wrath of God is finished with the pouring out of the seventh bowl. Verse 18. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake. Such a mighty and great earthquake as has not occurred since men were on the earth. 
You guys remember that earthquake in 2004? The earthquake in Sumatra, the, you know, the Indian Ocean, where they had the, the big tidal wave or tsunami. Um, that earthquake was either nine, it was somewhere between 9.1 and 9.3 on the Richter scale. Huge. 230,000 to 280,000 people were killed. The shift of mass and the massive release of energy very slightly altered the Earth's rotation as a result of that earthquake. The earthquake shortened the length of a day by 2.68 microseconds. You might go, what's that, microseconds? It's still a big deal. <laughs> it's a big deal. It also caused the earth to minutely wobble on its axis by up to 2.5 centimeters, which is about one inch, in the direction of 145 degrees east longitude. That was a powerful earthquake. And guess what? That was not the largest earthquake ever recorded there's two other ones that were greater than them well this earthquake that's taking place in verse 18 is the mother of all earthquakes there's our mother day theme it's the mother of all earthquakes <laughs> sorry <laughs> gotta get the mother day theme in there somewhere <laughs> verse 19 now the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. The great city, I believe, is Jerusalem. When you're looking in the Old Testament, or you're looking in Revelation, it talks about that city. It's talking about Babylon when it's the city. I think it's Jerusalem. And then it says the cities of the nations fell, probably including the newly established city of Babylon, which, by the way, we're going to study that next week, the destruction of Babylon. Verse 20, then every island fled away and the mountains were not found. Every island fled away and all the mountains were not found. That's fascinating. You know, during the millennium, Jerusalem, which is referred to as Mount Zion, it's going to be the only elevated city on the planet. Everything else is leveled by this great massive earthquake. You know, the Bible says that you and I as saints, we're going to reign and rule with Christ and I know a lot of people say, well, I know where I want to reign and rule. I want to reign and rule in Hawaii, you know. I don't want to reign and rule in Byron. I want to be in Hawaii, you know. And, but guess what? Hawaii is not going to be Hawaii. It's like, in fact, Byron might be the choice spot on the earth. Who knows, you know. <laughs> um, it isn't now, but it might be at some point. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you're from Byron, I apologize. I just uh, I like to get that little dig in once in a while. <laughs> Verse 21. And great hail fell from heaven upon uh, and great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since the plague was exceedingly great. A talent is somewhere between 108 to 130 pounds. So you imagine 108 to 130 pounds, that's, that's how much she weighs? Oh, okay, you're pointing at her. <laughs> Can you imagine... Something like that flying out of the sky, falling out of the sky, there's going to be nowhere. You go inside the house, the house isn't going to survive anything like that. What's fascinating about this last plague or this last bowl of wrath, again, the punishment fits the crime. You know, the judgment for blasphemy in the Old Testament was stoning. And here, man's been blaspheming the Lord God, and they're going to get stoned for it. And guess what? They blaspheme even after that. Steven Spielberg's pretty good at making movies. Some of his movies have been pretty pretty amazing, you know. He could never come up with a movie that depicts 
how terrible life is going to be during the Great Tribulation. He couldn't even come close to imagining it, you know, putting it on film. I'm, I'm not into nightmare, I hate horror flicks, but, you know, Wes Craven, he made those, was he the one that made the Halloween flicks or whatever? But anyways, he could never come up with a nightmare as horrific as what we've just studied during the Great Tribulation. When I was a, a youngster, we had a, a people that lived down the street from us, and, and I had uh, two brothers and a sister, and they were four kids, one girl and three boys, and and uh, uh, we were all kind of close in age to each other. And my friend Randy, um, I don't know where he was one Saturday, but he wasn't around. And my older brother's friend Russell, well, I called him Rusty back then, Rusty came over, and uh, he's like five years older than me, and I was just a little guy, and... and uh, he wanted to go to some movies, and my, my brother wasn't around, and his brother wasn't around, so he asked my mom if he could take me. So I got to go to a movie with this big guy, and it was kind of like, cool. Well, my mom let me go, and, and uh, he took me. It was a double feature on a Saturday. Escape from Planet of the Apes. Do you remember that movie? I, went, I saw it in the theaters. And the second movie was Soylent Green. You know, Soylent Green's made out of people. <laughs> okay, anyways. You had to have been there. <laughs> That's gross. <laughs> uh, no, you didn't have to be there. But anyways, I was just a little guy. <laughs> I'm sure if my mom knew it, where I was going, she wouldn't have let me go. But, you know, she didn't. Um, and I remember being so impacted. I mean, it's like, oh, I was just so over. You know, it was, it was an overwhelming movie. It was scary. And you know how most of the movie theaters, you know, a couple of them are like that here. You, 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 when, you, when you exit the movie theater, you come out and you're out in the parking lot, you know, right away. You, you open the doors and there you are in the parking lot. There's a couple of them that aren't like that now in Rochester. You're, you kind of go through the side of the, the entryway. But I remember a lot of movie theaters, you know, you, you know, you're in this dark movie theater and then the movie's over and you stand up and you walk, the doors open up and you're out in the broad daylight and, and normal life again. You know, some movies, especially if you get caught up in them and they're like really theatrically or they're done really well or whatever, they can seem like reality, can't they? I mean, you get so in, into them. I'm that way anyways. I get really into movies. And, and it may seem like reality, but, but it's just a movie. You get out of the movie theater, you open the doors, and pfft, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> you know, Don't have to worry about eating Soylent Green or anything like that. Um, but this is not a movie. This is, this is reality. It's true. And it's going to happen. But look outside right now. It's not too sunny right now. But boy, we've got blossoms on the trees. It's beautiful out right now. We've got, you know, the, the leaves are just starting to bud. On the, on the, you know, the plants are starting to grow. It's, it's beautiful outside. We've got some warm breezes. Why do I say that? You see, God is still showing his love and his kindness to this world right now. It's what we call his common grace. He's, he's so kind and he's so patient with the world. And, and you'd think, well, you know, with all these bad things that are happening, surely people are going to repent. No, they're not going to repent. The Bible says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. And right now we're in an era where God's just pouring out his love towards us, his kindness, his patience, and his mercy. I'm going to close with this verse that Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2. And the worship team, you guys can come on up if you want. We then as workers, together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 
If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, the Bible teaches that you and I, we're going to be raptured out. We're going to be taken out of here before the tribulation occurs. We won't have to endure what people are going to endure here, but you have to be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, this will be your nightmare if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I hate to say that, but it's true. Why don't we go ahead and go, Lord, in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, that is a somber chapter. Um, it's hard to find something humorous or anything light to speak about in this chapter because it's your wrath being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. But Lord, just like a, a bad movie, you know, it, it ends and we step out in the parking lot, we realize it was just a movie. You know, life continues right now. And Lord, as we finish studying this word, we, we look out the windows and we, we realize, Lord, this is speaking of a future time. It's probably coming soon, but it's still future. And Lord, right now we have your grace, your mercy. We, we enjoy the benefits that you pour out on the just and on the unjust alike. So we thank you for your kindness. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here or anyone listening to this message that doesn't have a personal relationship with you this morning, Lord God, that they re- would realize that this is their future if they don't repent and if you, if you come soon, Lord God, this is their future. And that they might realize, Lord, we're not trying to scare anyone into the kingdom because we know that that's not going to work, Lord God. But Lord, that they would realize that right now you love them, you care about them deeply, and that Lord, you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that Lord, they might even now repent of their sins and put their trust in you for their salvation. And Lord, for those of us who have taken that step, Lord, we've, we've repented of our sins, we've been forgiven, Lord, positionally we are righteous before the Father right now. If we were to die this moment, we would go to heaven because of your righteousness covering us. But Lord, we're still on the earth now. We're still in our flesh. And Lord, we, some of us, probably all of us, we struggle against the old man. And I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we would realize that time is short. And that, Lord, we would be focused on spending the rest of our days living for you and living for your righteousness and your holiness. And so, Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.